You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number nine. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Bökman. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, Sana Lehup! Oh, yes. great! Um, are we happy to be back? Very happy to be back, thank you. How about you, Elena? Very much so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. We have so much to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, we got a mention on the SGU, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. How did Yay! that happen? <laughs> yeah, it was great. After the interview with Jay Novella here in Malmo, he went back to the US and he talked very nicely about the Swedish skeptics and about me and uh, about the podcast on the latest episode that came out uh, on uh, Saturday. Mm, nice. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it seems that that episode is very well received. And it was so great to have uh, um, Jay on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, occasionally we'll have interviews with uh, people from, from outside Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have some kind of uh, connection with the continent. In Jay Novella's case, it was uh, his visit to Malmö. Yeah. Or Malmö. Malmö. <laughs> yeah, and and the fact that that he met up with uh, local skeptics, including mm-hmm. our very own Pontus. Mm-hmm. It was a great. We had a great time. Yeah, we have so many other interviews lined up. Some already recorded, and and others uh, to be organized. But we are very excited about all these. Uh, that's because we really hope to show you through these interviews how diverse our community is, and yet how common our goals and efforts are. Yeah, and of course, we could easily run two or three interviews a week, and it would still last years on end. But, mm. uh, <laughs> I mean, not easily. Yeah, of course, it, it is pretty darn complicated to do an interview. Uh, but but we are really determined to give as complete a picture as possible of uh, European skepticism. And we do hope to have two main outcomes of this. Inspiration and more international collaborations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, our episode 10... Uh, it's going to feature an interview uh, with Professor Edzard Ernst. So yeah. stay tuned for that. <laughs> Very interesting man. And we have lots of events also reported to the show. We have filled our calendar and more is coming in. People are really starting to to send us uh, when they have skeptics in the pub, etc. It's very nice to look in the calendar and see how much is going on. So go to our website and, and take a look. Yeah, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Whenever I look at the, that, that, that calendar and, and it, it just gets filled up with all these events, it feels so good that I, I have high hopes for the skeptical movement in Europe when I, th- I, I see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm serious. No, definitely. definitely yeah. <laughs> uh, but also we've had some very good ideas and suggestions. Um, some of them are, uh, we are considering to implement in the future. So keep an eye out for those. And uh, don't forget... We are always open to your feedback. Indeed. So you can find us on Twitter uh, and uh, under at espodcast underscore eu. And of course, you can email us. Um, and our email address is info at theesp.eu. Um, we've got a website, which is theesp.eu. 
and find us on Facebook, like us, and follow all our posts as well. Awesome. What have we got for you today, the other listeners? Uh, well, the usual stuff, mainly. On this day with uh, Yelena, events across Europe in the coming week and a few interesting topics to talk about that are happening in Europe uh, with a potential interest to skeptics. We have two short interviews today. One of them is the last of the series I recorded as a report from Wikipedia Science Conference, uh, this time with uh, Dr. Duncan Hull from Manchester. Uh, then, after the logical fallacies segment, another will follow that we recorded with prolific Wikipedia editor and hero of the international project Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia to talk about his activities. Uh, that's Leon Courtevich. Leon! Yeah, uh, we all know him, we all met him several times, and uh, I'm personally very excited to, to have him on the show. We'll also see who's been really wrong lately, to be followed by True or False to wrap up the show. Well, hope you'll enjoy episode number nine. Guys, let's do this. Yelena, please tell us whose birthday this is, and... What did that person do to deserve respect from skeptics? Okay. So on February the 10th, 1937, Anne Anderson was born um, and she was a researcher, a Scottish-born researcher, um, who was also a reproductive psychologist, uh, lecturer and author. Now, her major contribution were to her research in reproductive psychology. And in the last decade of her life, she broadened this to encompass more about women's health generally, including doing clinical trials and working with people focusing on what would become evidence-based medicine. And uh, as we all know, evidence-based medicine is very, very important. Um, and she was one of the pioneers who uh, kind of started it all. I've chosen her for, for today because obviously she's a, a woman in the scientific community and it's always quite hard for women, women to um, kind of uh, start up in scientific community and make an impact, and she certainly did. Um, and she contributed to the stream of thinking and effort um, that, that, as I said, gave birth to evidence-based healthcare. Um, now, after her death... There was a, an award set up called An Anderson Award. Um, and this award is given to women in science who in some way contributed um, to the scientific advances. And um, this award includes money prize as well as the recognition from um, Cochrane Collaboration Community. It's an international endeavour the Cochrane collaboration, and it's been set up uh, across the different co countries in the world to have a better understanding of science and scientific method and uh, evidence. Um, and thousands of professionals, um, like doctors and scientists, are uh, part of this collaboration and can be nominated to receive um, Anne Anderson's prize. Thank you very much, Yelena. Let's move on to what's on in Europe. We've already talked about the calendar that we put together, and it's growing by the day. 
But uh, we are still going to be mentioning um, events that are happening in the coming week um, uh, out of that um, calendar. So we start with one that it's on tonight, that is the 10th of February, and it's in Newcastle, the Newcastle Skeptics in the Pub, and their topic is addiction. Of course, it's it's usually considered to be an um, 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 an illness. Sometimes it's considered to be a crime. That night is going to be about that question, whether it's an illness or a crime. So um, if you're in Newcastle up and uh make sure you get there in time. the The speaker is going to be Kevin Dooley, who used to be a heroin and crack cocaine addict for twenty years. Um, on the 13th of February, um, there's going to be a Skeptics in a Pub in Lisbon, and the theme of the meeting will be the physics and mathematics of musical instruments. Very interesting. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. So, come along if you are near or around Lisbon area. On the same day, if you're not in Lisbon, you can be in Madrid, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, 13th of February, there will be a Skeptics in the Pub, Escépticos en el Pub. Uh, the entrance is free and the speaker is Emilio Molina. And I believe he's going to talk about pseudotherapies. Mm. 15th of February, Henley on Thames. Um, there'll be um, a skeptics and believers discussion uh, will, will be held. And so that's always interesting when the two sides come together yeah. to have a very civil you know, conversation. Well, we don't know about that yet. <laughs> well... Hopefully civil, hopefully civil. So if you're in Henley on Thames, then you should find out. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so excited about the next one. Uh, that is uh, on the next day, the 16th of uh, February. And it, it is happening in Bulgaria, in Sofia, which is uh, Sofia Skeptics in the Pub. I want, I want to take the opportunity to tell you that I want to know about every single Skeptics in the Pub event across that region. Uh, because it's so rare to hear about those. Uh, this time, it's uh, the topic is going to be some brain science. So um, the expert who who's going to talk is uh, Dr. Marin Penkov, and he's going to use functional magnetic resonance imaging um, to to help the audience understand. Uh, certain processes within the brain that are responsible for our uh, our decisions, uh, uh, whether we buy something, we we judge things, or or just just make something happen. So it's it really looks interesting. Uh, go along when uh, when you you are uh, in the vicinity around Sofia. And in Brussels on the sixteenth of February, there'll be another Skeptics in the Pub meeting with Team Trachet. And um, they'll be searching for paranormal, but something tells me they might not find anything. Tim Tim Tratchett, he's uh, among the most prominent figures of SCAP, which is uh, the the Belgian um, organization, skeptical organization, and uh, he's uh, very active within uh, the the board of uh, the European Council of Skeptical Organizations as well. On the seventeenth of February. Uh, if you go to Lund, you can actually meet me, because I will be there on our yearly meeting of the local branch of the Swedish Skeptics. Mm. And after that, so we will uh, have some formalities and stuff, which will be boring, but that will be quick. And after that, we will have 
our skeptics in the pub and relax and have a beer. I don't think we will have a speaker this time. We will just meet and uh, have a good discussion. Who knows? This time it could be Randy visiting you. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, if if so, I will let you know. Okay, make sure you do. <laughs> and to, to, to finish this um, list with, it's on the same day, that the uh, 17th of February, and it's in Vienna, Austria, where another Skeptics in the Pub event is taking place with uh, Dr. Wolfgang Maurer, who's going to talk about vaccinations, uh, whether they are life-saving or dangerous. And it's a very important question, because as we speak the anti-vaccination movement is gaining ground within Europe. So it's important to, to make everything clear about that topic. So uh, check out that on uh, the calendar if you have the time. That calendar can be found on our website. That is theesp.eu. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Let's move on now to the discussion of a few hot topics in Europe. Right, so yeah, um, probably few people uh, already heard of Zika virus and all the excitement um, in the newspapers and the media about it. Um, so the Zika virus, it's obviously a virus, that is spread by a mosquito called Aedes aegypti. And uh, one of the dangerous things about this virus um, uh, is the fact that if the pregnant ladies will get infected with this Zika virus, then their baby might be born with microcephaly. Um, and um, these symptoms will include a smaller than average size uh, brain, um, and it often can cause um, bile failure of brain to grow at normal rate. And there are other symptoms to, to this virus. Now, there was a first case reported in Europe of Zika virus uh, in Spain uh, by BBC. And it was actually uh, confirmed that the lady who had the virus was pregnant as well. Um, and it is very uh, dangerous and uh, we, we have to, you know, make sure it doesn't spread or whatever. And, and he World Health Organization issuing statements about uh, to be more aware and etc. protect from mosquito bites. But what's happening at the moment um, is this hype around the conspiracy theories uh, and the virus. So, of course, um, the, the one that's been, that's been circulating the media is um, about the fact that this virus is being caused by genetically modified mosquitoes. And now, as soon as you mention genetically modified in press, Everybody gets excited. Um, it's such a hot topic and it's a very sore point. And, uh, and of course, we now blame gen genetically modified for everything that's happening in the world. Um, but it doesn't have th this, this claim doesn't have any ground. It started off with a thread that was published on Reddit mm. and all places. It's not even, it's, it hasn't been mentioned by what a source. <laughs> I know, right? Like, if, if it's if it's already, it must be true. Hey, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been picked up by newspapers because, of course, they like to sensationalize everything. The the, the thing is, <laughs> none of this story actually checks out. Those mosquitoes, those genetically modified mosquitoes, were um, specifically bred to try to spread to stop spreading of um, 
another virus. Um, and in fact, it, they were having some really good results. But um, the whole project only started in 2015. However, the Zika virus has been around since I don't know, 60s and 70s. So the timeline doesn't quite cut it. Um, and so now telling us that these, these, these GM modified mosquitoes responsible for Zika virus is ridiculous. And, um, anybody who's interested, they can easily find, um, various articles online about debunking the whole thing. Um, but in any case, it's just, uh, another example of how, uh, quick can something like a tiny post on Reddit from completely anonymous source who wasn't even confirmed to be a doctor can become this hype and excitement and, and everybody's talking about it. And, you know, and of course people jumping on the bandwagon and saying, let's ban GM, whatever, mosquitoes yeah. this time around. Um, we'll just have to stay vigilant and uh, make sure we don't get carried away with the whole uh, trend and current again. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is just because of the the lack of of science literacy within the general public. Because what these genetically modified uh, mosquitoes were, they were all male mosquitoes. What does that mean? Yeah, they don't bite. They don't bite. No. So how could they spread the disease yeah. through biting you when they yeah. don't freaking bite? No, and they were they were also uh, modified to be sterile, so they don't even have offspring. Yeah. So you can't even say that their offspring is biting. So, so it's all ridiculous it's from beginning to. It's absolutely ridiculous. But of course, conspiracy theories. Yeah. Don't and need any other... kind of solid basis to be mm. to be built on. Yeah, and the other thing was about this claim on Reddit. They were saying that um, this um, mosquitoes. Uh, insert additional DNA in the virus. I mean, you know, talking about <laughs> making stuff, uh, oh, talking about making stuff up, you know, so mm -hmm. they, they made an elementary mistake. The mosquitoes couldn't inadvertently insert additional DNA into Zika virus genome simply because Zika has no DNA. It's an RNA virus, you know, just, just simple things like that. And then the people, <laughs> of course, um, will go on, you know, quoting this in their conversations, you know, trying to maybe sound, um, like they know what they're talking about, but it, yeah, it's such a, and, and it's, um, like I said, it's, it's a very simple thing to read about as well. You know, if you, if you just go online and try to do a little bit more research, but also it is such a easy thing to get caught in and, and you're going to go with a, in another direction. <laughs> and yeah. Well, talk, talking about, um, conspiracy theories and, and bloody idiotic ideas. Uh, <laughs> have you heard about uh, the girl in Berlin? who got kidnapped and no, I, raped uh, by immigrants? No, I have not. Okay, I think we all remember um, the terrible happenings in Cologne. Uh, of course, yeah. At, at the beginning yeah. of the year. Yes. And, uh, of course, that um, resulted in a public outrage. And even though it, it's not really well established that uh, all those assaults were carried out by immigrants it's still the public opinion. And, and of course, this is absolutely widely used by extremist political parties that are trying to build on uh, xenophobia. Now, some people managed to take it a bit even further. Um, there was a girl from a German-Russian family, and she went missing on the 11th of January, 
she she was um, out of sight for thirty hours, and uh, she went back home. But within that thirty hours, all hell broke loose. The story of her having disappeared was picked up by the Russian television channel, Channel One. They reported on the events through using someone and kind of interview or someone someone reporting who claimed to be her aunt. And she was crying. She said that that uh, her uh, niece was kidnapped and raped repeatedly by, and you might have guessed, immigrants. But when the whole story really took off, it ev- generated even more public outrage. And turned out that these claims were totally lacking any kind of basis in the truth. So... When the girl went home, turned out that she wasn't kidnapped by anyone. She wanted to get away from her family for a while. And she ended up with a 19-year-old man and spent the 30 hours with him. And even though it was reported that she was repeatedly raped, there was no sexual interaction between them at all during that time. So... The whole thing was not true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone could have been stopped from making these allegations against all these immigrants. Mm. And the police investigated the case a bit further, the Berlin police. They found out that based on her mobile phone's cellular data, she was with that man all the time. So during that period of time, she was with him. But you know, it doesn't matter now, because since the story was out, people have already made their minds up. So it still has contributed to this uh, xenophobia. Absolutely. And so what happened was the public started to accuse the police, the Berlin police, with a conspiracy. Ah, <laughs> of course. So so this is this is how it's absolutely mind-blowing how stupid, idiotic things can, can emerge from nothing. And I have to say the refugee crisis is, is very bad in itself, both on the countries that are affected and the people who are seeking asylum in those countries. And there is so much tension. We really don't need these false claims to, to add to that tension. So I, I am absolutely shocked by the idiocy that, th- that brought about this, this, this uh, very claim. And actually, there is a German uh, lawyer at the moment uh, filing uh, a court case against uh, one of the, the journalists, the Russian journalists, who picked up the, the story and ran with it. So I don't know how it's going to end. But the story is out in the public, and the story doesn't seem to uh, to, to to really uh, vanish uh, anytime soon, and it's just making the already bad case even worse. Uh, but then, for some good news, then um, have you heard about Pastafarianism? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it's this make-up, very funny religion was started in the U.S. as a mockery of other religions. That's the one that um, I go to the uh, uh, convention in America um, that called Apostacon. And that's, oh, 
That's Did you? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've been I've been twice. It's a lot of fun, guys. If you ever have a okay, chance, okay, I, I would, I would. No, Did you have a been... special hand? No, but um, the setup is very similar to QED. They they invited a lot of really good speakers. So uh, one time they had Neil deGrasse Tyson and Lawrence Krauss on. Kind of that's that's what attracted me and Brad first time round. My husband. Um, and then they have a mos- massive ball at the end, um, where you dress up as pirates, cause that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tied to a pirate, speak like a pirate day. I don't know if you know about it. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the news about Pastafarianism uh, or whatever it's called uh, is um, from from the Netherlands, where it's now being recognized as a as a religion. So the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is yep. is now officially registered as a denomination in in uh, in the Netherlands. So that's good news because we can always new. We can always use a, a little bit of uh, mockery against. Yeah, uh, praise, praise be, be, be onto his noodly appendage or something like that. Exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it's just that, but you know, it, it's it's fun. Uh, I read here that the Pastafarians believe that heaven is a bear volcano with with a stripper factory, while hell, <laughs> while hell is the same, but the bear is stale and the strippers have sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> <laughs> so it. really good and you're about head you know wearing something on your head you're supposed to wear a colander on Colander, your head yeah. that's the yeah. what yeah. you rinse the pasta with yeah yeah so yeah. so you should have that on your head and, and there's a yeah. lot of silly things like that but it's really fun yeah we all we all get um these colanders as as uh, uh gifts when we go to the conference ah. and, and little presents that they will remind us of spaghetti of some sorts and you know it's quite yeah. So, so the Netherlands seems to be very progressive. Now they've uh, approved Pastafarianism, but they actually uh, took away the license from uh, Scientology. If you remember, we talked about that yeah. a few episodes ago. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so down with uh, Scientology and up with Pastafarianism. <laughs> yeah, great. great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so the the next bit of um, information I've got is about a website called gadget.com. G-A-Z-G-E-T-T-E. Um, now, they have recently published an uh, article called Homeopathy, the Air Guitar of Medicine. <laughs> and I really like that name because we all know what the air guitar is. And uh, it's a great... I think it's a great comparison. It's make believe, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I like the style. It's it's a really well written and easily understood. Uh, where it ex- explains what homeopathy actually really is and how again it's a sore subject and how people believe in it and but how it actually hasn't got any active ingredients. And it links to this um, again a wonderful Reddit thread um, where. Um, a guy who used to work in a homeopathic manufacturing plant tells his tales of what they used to do and how they used to, for example, uh, try to find uranium for their 200 plus dilution, you know, <laughs> you can't get uranium anywhere. So they had to go and get it some, I don't even know what kind of ways. <laughs> and they couldn't get rid of it afterwards because uranium is obviously, um, 
a toxic waste. So nobody would, would take it off them after they've diluted what they needed. So they ended up bur- burying it in the backyard somewhere. So, you know, it's, Very uh, professional. <laughs> the things that go, go on in, in homeopathic factories, you know, you won't believe. But, um, mm. so it's, um, it's a really good article, um, to read if somebody wants to have just an overview of homeopathy and uh, we'll link it in in our uh notes um but also this website the gadget.com is set up by a a, a woman um and she um is set out to create this um website for for all uh women and girls and um out there um to help understand the tech and the scientific world a bit better um, because the guys sometimes look down on women and and think that, you know, they don't really know much about technology. So, and she wants to change that and get us all educated, (laughs) Um, but like in a helpful way, not in a condensating way. So there we go. I I really like the, the name of that website. Uh, it's it's a nice, uh, a very smart uh, linguistic play. Yeah, it's like gadget, gadget. I would say, gadget, yeah, gadget. and yeah. uh, it's it plays the gender the the gender uh, thing. Like uh, it's not gadget, but with a te in the end, it becomes uh, a feminine word. Yeah. So it's I I really love it. So I would like to talk a little bit about our friends at the Good Thinking Society in in, uh, in the UK. Michael Marshall, Simon Singh, they have done it again. So what they now have done is they, as we know and have heard and also talked about, I think, is that they've also investigated Peter Popov. Uh, Michael Marshall had done that uh, on on a continuous basis. And uh, Peter Popov has been sending his show, broadcasting his show in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, where he basically promised that if you send money to him, you will get money back because God will make sure that you oh, yeah, yeah, you will do yeah, well, yeah. etc. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's it's really a, a long story there of how how to you first you send a few dollars, then you get something back, and then you send another one. But he makes a lot of money of that. But anyway, those broadcasts uh, in the UK have been uh, sent from uh, Iceland apparently mm. through an Icelandic uh, um, uh, company. And now, after the Good Thinking Society has in, ha, had investigated that and, and filed a complaint, it was found that these broadcasts were in violation of Icelandic law. So uh, now I think they have been stopped. So it's fantastic. Nice. It's um, it's good to see see uh, things getting done. By the way, uh, last week um, I was at. Uh, the Brighton Secular Humanists in the Pub mm-hmm. event, where the speaker was uh, Marsh, Michael Marshall from the Good Thinking Society. And he did mention this case with uh, Peter Popov. And he, he mentioned a lot of other cases uh, of him encountering different uh, spiritists and uh, psychics and promoters of bogus claims. Yeah, it was a very good talk with lots of people there. I should have attended, shouldn't I, really? Never mind. Never mind, next time. Right. Next time, yeah. There is another very uplifting initiative um, from GUP, the, the German Skeptic Society. Apparently, 
they started, they launched a homeopathy information network. And uh, one of the people among the initiators of this uh, network is a certain Dr. Natalie Grams, who used to be a homeopath herself. Mm-hmm. A bit like a bit like Edzard Ernst. Yeah. yeah, and um, uh, among others, um, because among the members there is Amardeo Sarma as well, who's the, the chairman of the German Skeptic Society. And they are trying to educate the general public uh, about the ineffectiveness of uh, homeopathic treatments and preparations. And uh, how they do it is uh, they put together an informational website and they are uh, having various online projects planned, uh, an information platform, and uh, uh, some discussions about the anecdotal success of uh, of homeopath. So this is this is a great initiative, and they are trying to uh, get to schools as well. And of course, which is probably even more important, uh, they're trying to get to politicians. Um, so that they can try to affect um, the the decision making process um, um, in a way. So good luck to the the management group of that initiative, uh, Homeopathy Information Network. But do you remember, guys, this website that um, I can't remember what it was called, but it, it was about how does homeopathy work? And if you go on there, it says it doesn't. Yeah, That's it's, all it says. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, put together by the Merseyside Skeptic Society in 2011 when they when they launched the uh, the, the World the 20, Homeopathy, yeah. uh, the International Homeopathy Challenge. Campaign. Yeah, mm. and uh, I yeah. I I just finished about two weeks ago. No, not even two weeks ago. About a week ago, I just finished the Hungarian version of it. So it's now it's now up and running. It's now online, and uh, it gets c- quite a lot of hits. Um, so people people are sharing it like crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 too bad that I I couldn't put it together back then, but uh, it's better 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 late than never. Yeah. No, it's it's great. I I love it. And because of, of the way it's been set up, it comes out in the top searches when people search like homeopathy, whatever. Yeah. And of course, and of course, it's not just like people like me and you who are skeptical about this stuff, but uh, genuinely people who believe in homeopathy. <laughs> I can just yeah. imagine their reaction. But uh, what I suggest, I haven't checked if uh, if it exists in uh, other languages, but if it doesn't. Uh, I really urge everyone out there in Europe to go and buy the domain for the for the same thing in your language. How does homeopathy work? And mm. and try to copy the same thing. I I mm. I I don't think the Merseyside skeptics would mind. I think if their legacy lives on, it's it's even better for them, and it's even better for all of us. Uh, so. If you haven't done so before, just go and do it. <laughs> Does it exist in in uh, Swedish, Pontus? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. no. Okay, it's time for it to. Homeopathy, homeopathy isn't that big in Sweden, so but oh, we, okay. we can still put it up there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's 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 worth doing. I think. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Let's move on to the first interview, which um, is the last piece of report from the Wikipedia Science Conference are recorded in uh, September in London.
Well, hello. Uh, this is Andras Pinte from the Hungarian Skeptic Society and uh, member of uh, Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia and reporting from um, Wikipedia Science Conference from London, UK. And um, here with me is Duncan Hall from the University of Manchester. And you gave a talk uh, titled Improving the Trouble Relationship Between Scientists and Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. And that is very interesting because we are, we are facing that problem on an everyday basis mm -hmm. uh, with our project. So uh, could you tell me something about yourself and uh, how you're related to Wikimedia UK and uh, the Wikipedia project? Um, I, I've been a long time editor of Wikipedia as as a hobby, it's sort of loosely related to my work in that a lot of the um, articles I've edited have been about scientists because I found that there's a paucity of information about scientists. Um, and three years ago I got involved in um, uh, encouraging the Royal Society, which is a, a, a bit of a bad name because it's nothing to do with royalty anymore really, <laughs> uh, just a society of sort of notable scientists, but like the National Academy of Sciences in America. Because uh, there seem to be lots of people who are fellows, which is a quite big honour to become a fellow of this society, uh, and yet had no, no no articles about them in Wikipedia. So, um, yeah, my talk has been about you know what we've done, managed to do so far through the Wikipedian in residence scheme, encouraging people to create those articles, uh, and, and and trying to get more editors. Basically, <laughs> um, they don't have to be scientists. It's good if they are, but. Um, yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do. And how 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 does it look um, so far? Um, Your recruiting it, uh, efforts. We we um, I think it's a it's a difficult subject, and I hadn't really appreciated this until today. Is that um, the people that are, people have all sorts of problems editing biographies about living people. You normally what you have to do to get a biography in Wikipedia is to die. But then people don't talk about your work so much when you're dead unless you're really famous like Darwin say. So um, I, I can understand why people are hesitant um, to, to, to get involved in it. They're perhaps not a good place to start for uh, new editors. So we, we had some good sessions uh, in the unconference bit this afternoon where people were editing new articles and uh, I don't think editing biographies is a good place to start. I think you need to have quite a lot of experience of Wikipedia to do that and to understand the policies and so forth. But um, it, it doesn't need uh, well, uh, it doesn't need for the for the fellows of the Royal Societies. There's not that many of them. There's eight thousand. It's not a huge number. It's not it's not big data. Um, and, and obviously th th there are lots of scientists that aren't fellows of the society that are very, very notable and that's obviously a much bigger group but can just constraining it to these, this, these fellows makes the problem a bit more tangible to start with. So that's, that's going well and we've managed to recruit a few more editors. We don't, I, I guess we don't need a lot um, and there might be lots of guerrilla approaches we can use to try and encourage people to edit. So. When I write articles, I tend to be quite comprehensive, and I think perhaps a, a better approach would be to write stub, and and then you know people see a stub, they might uh, they might um, edit it, or perhaps more evilly, uh, uh, Martin Holter, who organised this conference today, was suggesting that um, uh, if you put misinformation out there, then people are more likely to edit it. So if you say my favourite Spielberg film is Frozen, for example, then you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> then people will say, no, you're wrong. Frozen wasn't made by Spielberg, sort of thing. So um, I wonder, I'm wondering if there's some scope there. But ethically, that's a bit questionable, populating Wikipedia with misinformation deliberately. So uh, Yeah, that, sure. that, that comment struck me as well. But um, I think only because, because I'm, I'm a devoted skeptic, yeah. if, if, if one can be that. Um, and uh, that means I'm, I, I hate misinformation in general, so I, I, just, I just can't bear it. And whenever I see it, I come across it, so it would work on me. <laughs> but what I fear when misinformation is... is People don't is, challenge is, it, they just yeah, accept it. They just accept it, because that's my experience. So this is, this is why I am trying to, to do what I, what I do. Um, but um, still, do you use um, editing Wikipedia articles on um, uh, about uh, certain people, um, um, scientists, to to draw um, um, draw people's attention to the topics they they work um, on? Yeah, potentially. So um, actually, so uh, um, there are some. You know, Wikipedia has good coverage of science generally. I think. It's at least got an article about you know some physics physics professor or being a, 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 an expert in condensed matter physics, which is something I know very little about. Uh, although there might not be an article about the condensed matter physicist, the actual subject is pretty well covered. Um, so, um, but I, th I think having scientists in there sort of brings the subject to life a bit more because it helps people engage in it um, if they if they know that there's an actual person somewhere doing that research, yeah. it's not just this kind of faceless thing. I mean, sometimes you just want the facts, right? But there are times when you want to know, well, actually, who discovered that fact? Um, whose idea was that? Where did that come from? Um, that's, kind of, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's, um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of a guerrilla approach. Uh, this, is, this is what we mean by that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you put out something there that 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 can lead people to 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 read up on on yeah. a certain topic. I mean, I suppose the other problem with the, the, a lot of these scientists is that they're the part of the reason they're not in Wikipedia is just because they're not in the public eye at all. Yeah, you know, they move in very it's a question of not very closed circles in academia that you know very you know um, elite circles in some ways, and uh, they're not they're not mentioned in the news. They're not mentioned, you know, in the media, so that's partly why. But you know, in the future, they might be. You know, if somebody suddenly some new topic comes up and some obscure academic physics topic suddenly becomes hot news, then you know that's when people are going to start going to Wikipedia to find out more about it. So, you know, hopefully that information will be there when they when they when they need it. And do you do do some editing on your on your own um, field of expertise? Um, well, my, I'm a bit of a mishmash, really. So I originally trained as a biologist, and then I did a PhD in bioinformatics, which is applying computer science to problems in biology. About a lot, we've we've heard a lot about that today. So, uh, and I work in a computer science department. I don't really know what I am anymore. I, I, <laughs> I kind of am I a biologist? Am I a chemist? I don't know. Am I a computer scientist? Um, and it's certainly so on Wikipedia. I'm certainly a Wikipedian, but I, I, yeah, I'm kind of a bit of a jack of all trades and master at none, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have broad interests. So um, I, I have edited articles about 
bioinformaticians. So um, some like um, some of the examples in my talk are, are people who who I know professionally, and I've edited their articles. So there's a, a potential conflict of interest there. That I, but I tend to steer away from those, and the ones that are most fun, most geeky to edit, are the ones about people you've never met in areas you've never heard of. So. Um, there's a guy called Henry Snaith at the University of Oxford who does um, a lot of stuff on, in photovoltaics and I wrote an article about him and I learned a little bit about photovoltaics yep. and how you know that's coming on leaps and bounds and the way that uh, um, solar energy and stuff is kind of is really moving and becoming interesting now and um, those I suppose those are the articles uh, that are that, uh, are most fun. I mean, when I was at school, I studied so for my, when I was six, between sixteen and eighteen. I studied physics, chemistry, and biology. So my interests kind of, I've got interest in all of those three yeah. and how they relate to, to the to the to, to the wider world. So yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I hope to meet you somewhere sometime. Yeah, yeah. Again. Thanks. Well, it was very um, nice, very nice to meet you. And thank you for interviewing me. <laughs> well, thanks for your time and um, thanks for agreeing um, to the interview. So. This was um, Duncan Hall, and uh, thank you very much again. Thank you. Okay, Yelena, do you have a nice logical fallacy to share with us today? Yes, I do indeed. And um, some of the listeners might relate to this fallacy very uh, well, and um, I'll explain in, in, a, in a bit why. So today I will be talking about argument by gibberish, also known as bafflement argument by jargon. So it's when incomprehensible jargon or plain incoherent gibberish is used mm -hmm. to give the appearance of a strong argument in place of evidence or valid, valid reasons to accept the argument. Um, so the more common form of this argument is when the person making the argument defaults to highly technical jargon or details not directly related to the argument and then restates the conclusion. Now, and not only that, but also where the person just basically makes stuff up. And um, <laughs> one of the very well-known people, um, well, well, I, I hope that, that a lot of people heard of him, that we all know about, it's called Deepak Chopra, and he wrote books and books oh, and yes. books and books, uh, where you can find these arguments by gibberish on literally every single page. Um, now he claims to have some sort of a scientific ba background and, and uh, education and whatever. And so then what he did, he went, he went ahead and created this whole movement by, uh, constructing very scientifically sounding sentences that don't make sense to anyone and, uh, backing up all the really <laughs> strange sounding, um, claims. Now, um, if uh, our listeners, listeners are not aware, there is actually a website uh, online called wisdomofchopra.com and we'll link it in our description of this episode uh, where you can go to and produce your own uh, Chopra, so to speak, wisdom. <laughs> um, thin pearls like quantum physics is the continuity of the door of external reality. Um <laughs> Or a single particle is rooted in an abundance of miracles. Uh, you know, so there's like, it goes on and on and on, and you can generate those, um, little sentences, 
all day long <laughs> and yeah. post post them as your Facebook status update and um you know uh, use it as your uh, own argument by gibberish or shall I say argument by Deepak Chopra maybe it should be renamed I don't know um and um but we all when we come across somebody who is trying to play that trick on us and and sort of use the big words um we should seek for explanations of those terms that we're not familiar with rather than say accepting it because sometimes we don't want to question people for the for the sake of looking you know or, or seeing as be, being a bit stupid but we should really you know say look I, I don't want to sound daft but can you please explain what these terms that you're using are, are actually mean so to be able to understand your argument correctly um so there we go i've got another one just last one example fortifying the Dijkstra's coherence leads to applicable inherent of explicable tolerance therefore we should not accept this proposal just just be, be aware i i don't i don't think we we ever fall for this kind of thing but um it's you know we want to be scientifically literate and you know the skeptics society unlike unlike deepak chopra yeah and yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's not uh, yeah let's not go all the way the other you know let's not go too far that way and start. I think I think when in an everyday situation, if it's not only geeks talking about physics, uh, when the word quantum appears, yeah, it's pretty likely that the person saying it is just talking rubbish. It's almost its own fallacy. Argument by quantum. <laughs> Argument by quantum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, it's gibberish. Like uh, because of quantum or something. Deepak Chopra is just great at that. Uh, there is there is one other. Uh, you mentioned the the wisdom of Chopra. There is one other that's yeah. uh, the New Age bullshit generator. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard of it's, that one it's as well. Doing, <laughs> it's doing the same thing, and it's it exists uh, even in Hungarian actually. Uh, it it's, does it? It's okay, called cool. esoteric. Uh, bullshit generator and uh, yeah because we have some uh, some similar uh, minded people in Hungary who are talking the same bullshit as uh, uh, Deepak Chopra so yeah it's it's cool argument by gibberish thank you very much Yelena uh, let's move on to our interview with uh, Leon Kortevech on this segment we publish short interviews with people working on important topics or projects or us reporting from certain events uh, relevant to skepticism. Now we have here with us Leon Kortevech from the Netherlands. Welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for inviting Hello, Leon. Me. Um, so, um, Leon, did, did I say your name well? Yeah, you did. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, tried, I tried very hard. We all know you from Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, GSOW, as you are the most prolific editor in that project. <laughs> and well, uh, it's amazing yeah. what you're doing um, within the project for, for promoting European uh, skeptical organizations and, and putting out the information about them uh, on Wikipedia. So thank you very much for that. And uh, how are you doing these days? Well, uh, you're welcome. Uh, I really appreciate the, the compliment. Um, well, so yeah, I, I was uh, was quite active uh, in in uh, w when I started uh, in this project. I really loved it immediately. Uh, it was just the kind of thing I was looking for. 
and um, yeah, and, and I quickly uh, uh, became the Dutch team leader within it, and also um, uh, quite prolific in the in the group in general. Yeah. Um, um, and it, it was very nice working with so many people from around the world, including you, and uh, writing about these topics and giving uh, as reliable information as we could about uh, important uh, important issues in uh, uh, skepticism. So um, nowadays uh, I'm uh, I have a full time job, so I'm not able to contribute as much anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. That sounds <laughs> sounds awful. Oh, but uh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it it was at QED where we met for the first time. Was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and um, you are running around these conferences with a microphone, <laughs> trying to to catch people for a short interview or or an an intro, a voice intro about themselves, uh, to put on their Wikipedia uh, articles, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> quite funny actually. Because, yeah, why? Uh, well, we we do this be- because we want to preserve the uh, voices uh, for uh, posterity. Like um, there, there's there's this unique chance um, to uh, have their own voices recorded to so they can pronounce their own name uh, the way it should be. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, to have them uh, recognized, for example, if they give an interview on the radio, you can recognize their voice from how it sounds on Wikipedia. And they can briefly introduce themselves, uh, what they find important about their own lives. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, actually quite valuable also because it's uh, it has a free license, so you can share it everywhere. Mm. And that gives you an opportunity to collaborate with people as well uh, like if someone is working on on a on a page and you provide the voice intro from 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 the person uh, about whom the page is um, we work together on one or two pages like that as well yeah yeah and uh, what about your involvement in um, other um, skeptical activism you you've got really deep into um, a few skeptical organization uh, organizations in the Netherlands right yeah that's true um, uh, I, I didn't actually know about them until very recently I uh, I pre- practically joined the skeptical movement uh, through uh, YouTube uh, atheism and then uh, skepticism and I uh, subscribe to the JREF uh, YouTube channel. That's where I found uh, uh, Susan Gerbeck's talk about GSAW. And um, it was only much longer after that I, that I found out, oh, there's actually a Dutch skeptical organization, oh. uh, Stichting Skepsis. Although I had heard about the uh, Association Against Quackery, the Vereniging tegen de Kwakschalverij, before that. That sounds but, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually... Uh, uh, one of the, one of the organizations that claims to be the oldest uh, skeptical organization in the world, but there's a bit of a uh, bit bit of a battle about this. <laughs> oh yeah, I've, I've heard about that, that, that debate, especially regarding um, um, a periodical, right? It's uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is is that a magazine or just okay? Uh, just is it sheets? doesn't seem to be settling down that 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 kind of debate? Is it? It's not. Is not settled yet, is it? 
Well, it it, it, it all depends on your definition. So, uh, okay. like, they only um, criticize alternative medicine, so they don't do any uh, UFOs or religion or uh, <laughs> the paranormal. They don't. They usually don't get into that stuff unless it has something to do with medicine and health. Ah, okay. So we're we're distinguishing between uh, general pseudoscience and uh, quackery. Yeah. So ah, okay. The other the other uh, general pseudoscience is more for skepsis, and when it's specifically about religion, it's more for the freie gedachte or the three thought of which I'm a board member. Mm-hmm. You're attending skeptics in the pub events as well, right? Are, are you uh, uh, actually organizing one? Yeah, I, I, I actually I am. Um, uh, right, uh, just last month I organized the first uh, three thinkers in a pub in uh, my my town where I live, and uh, next uh, next Monday I'm going to uh, host the one in in Utrecht in the, in the middle of the Netherlands, and uh, it will be quite exciting because it will be in English for the first time. And it's about and Camp, Camp Quest, right? Yes, uh, Samantha Stein from, from Camp Quest. I saw her first at uh, QED uh, when yeah. uh, we we also met for the first time. So, um, yes, uh, this is actually quite new to the Netherlands. Uh, there are also uh, skeptics in the pub. There is one in The Hague and also in Amsterdam. And uh, there are f- several free thinkers in the pub throughout the country there that are just spring up. This is very a recent phenomenon, uh, just the past few years. So, uh, but we're getting there. Uh, the uh, skepticism and free thought are getting more active in the Netherlands at the moment, and also in Flanders, for example. That seems to mean to me that um, even though you have a, um, a full-time job right now, uh, you cannot really just sit down and, and uh, wait for others to do something. No, that's true. Uh, I'm I'm quite uh, quite busy these days. <laughs> uh, like uh, I had used to have all all uh, all spare time uh, in the world actually uh, um, to to engage in skepticism. But now with the job, with it, it's come quite crammed within uh, one day. <laughs> so yeah, um, and and combine it with with your board membership. Also organize three thinkers in the pub and uh, manage the Facebook page on which I'm very active and um, then also engaging in discussions uh, and other socializing activities. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm quite busy right now and, and, and that's cost me my, my activism for Wikipedia a lot. Even though uh, I, I do still uh, edit Wikipedia every now and then. Mm-hmm. I published a page today actually about <laughs> uh, young hu- international humanists um, but uh, it's not going to be as prolific as I used to be. <laughs> Sorry, I can't do any everything at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I. I think that's one of the greatest problems in uh, in movements like like the skeptics movement. That uh, it's always the same people uh, doing several different things, and uh, that's that's why we should we should really promote the actual idea of of activism. So that others are joining in and doing the work. Yeah. Um, how how are you um, doing in that sense? So, uh, could you recruit people for for guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia? Could you uh, recruit people for 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 doing other um, skepticism related stuff? 
Yes, but it is very hard. Many people are saying, well, I enjoy these, these meetings, these projects, and uh, I'll give you a like on Facebook, but actually participating, that's a whole other step that could require some uh, um, commitment. And that's something many people are not really uh, prepared to, to offer. And um, so you have to motivate them to, to get involved. And that's quite hard, actually, uh, especially for my um, age category, I would say. There are about three students within the three thoughts and, and a few others uh, below the age of 35. Um, and, well, we have a membership of um, 450. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's also the same with Skepsis and, and the Antiquacks, that uh, you don't see many people my age. It's, uh, there, there's a real age gap. Uh, but it's also for ethnicity and also there are not a lot of women. Why do you so, think that is? Um, well, that's, 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 that's an important question. Uh, I think uh, it has to do a lot with the fact that um, many of these activists are already retired. So they have a lot of spare time to devote to activism. I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's a complicated question and it's been vexing my mind for, for years. How mm. come this... This this demog demographic problem exists, but yeah. What yeah. is it that got you hooked? hooked can you can Wikipedia you name? Yeah, or uh, oh, to, to the whole activism, to Wikipedia, to to atheism, to to well, actually, the science. Actually, uh, I do think that uh, reading the God Delusion made me an activist. I was already an atheist, but. Uh, I felt then that I had to need to go out and have these discussions with religious people and also or organize and strategize with uh, like-minded uh, people and uh, that, that, uh, that we have uh, a fight to, to, to fight, that we have to uh, battle pseudoscience, battle religion, battle superstition and uh, help people think more critically and, and reasonably about uh, these these topics because they have consequences and they can be damaging and harmful and uh, so it was uh, but I do have to admit it was uh, um, mostly from behind my computer in the first few years it wasn't actually until I got involved with with guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia that I uh, got got started to starting meeting people and uh, in, in real life and actually organized by, uh, stuff with people I knew uh, from real life. So um, that's how it started. I think, think you're a great example uh, that many, many, many young people should follow. Um, and as you manage to, to find your way and your, your place in skepticism i'm not sure you've found it just yet uh but 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 you've found several things you could work on and what you've done so far is is phenomenal especially with uh, GSO, gsow uh, so well done and i i do believe that everyone who thinks that pseudoscientific claims and pseudoscience in general should be fought against uh should try and find their place in the movement, 
So if it's if if you're not very social, just go edit Wikipedia, go write a blog, uh, do something about it uh, in your own language to to promote things. If you're much more social, then 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 you can go out there. If if you're into editing uh, web pages, if you're into uh, administrating uh, Facebook pages, then th- that's what you should do because all of these in themselves are requiring a human huge amount of work and effort and and the more people are doing it the better right yeah absolutely sure, i agree indeed um leon can you tell us what your what's your next step what you're working on or project or what you're looking forward to uh well first of all uh manage my manage my uh my new life uh, um and and my new job and then uh, see uh, what i can do with that at the moment i'm uh working on a uh subtitling three videos for the society against quackery because they want to show it um at a paranormal fair in february where there will be lots of uh, quackery and alternative medicine uh, being promoted and perhaps sold. And they want to uh, use uh, three videos from Harriet Hall's science-based medicine uh, video series to uh, counter those claims and uh, to uh, have people uh, hear the um, skeptical perspective. So that's taking quite a lot of uh, my spare time right now. Um, and uh, of course, organizing more uh, free thinkers in the pub, and doing and doing uh, work for uh, the three th- the three thoughts, and uh, yeah, perhaps if I do have time left uh, after that, it will be more Wikipedia probably. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, um, good luck with all of this, and uh, especially with uh, with your new life and. Uh, Hope to catch you at, at some of the conferences or events, skeptical events around Europe at some yeah. point. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see you as well. Yeah, if not before, then uh, in October at QED. Yeah, certainly. I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, thank you very much, Leon Kurtevech. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Pontus, I'm so excited to know who's been really wrong lately. Yeah, well, today's prize for being really wrong goes to Jeremy Hunt, the UK Health Secretary. And he, yeah, <laughs> so he, I couldn't oh, take the, dear. yeah, I can't take the Pope every every week. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but you are so really I'm, aiming high with these, yeah, uh, <laughs> with try, these, these prizes. So, but this time, uh, the, the, this time, uh, Mr. Hunt uh, gets this because he said, and I quote, uh, first of all, you should know that 111 is the number you call in the UK for if, if you're not having, you don't have an emergency, but you want to have some health advice. So, you go, so it's, it's run by the National Health Services. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Hunt was criticized because there wasn't capacity enough on this 111 number to, to receive all the uh, calls. Mm-hmm. So he said, and I quote, We may well need more 111 doctors and nurses, but if you're worried about a rash your child has, or an online alternative where you look at photographs and say, 
my child's rash looks like this may be a quicker way of getting to the bottom of whether this is serious or not. So what he's saying is that, well, maybe we don't have enough people to answer the phone, but then you can go to Google instead and see and, and put your own diagnosis together. So wow. uh, oh, yeah, what do you think of this? That shouldn't happen. No, no. So I, I have three complaints with this. The first one is political, so maybe that's not part of this program so much, but I want to mention it again. You know, if he's in charge of the NHS or indirectly he's in charge of that and it fails, he cannot push the, 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 the responsibility to the patients to, to do this uh, on their own. But that's more of a political thing, but I think it's very uh, badly done. Uh, but also the second thing is his, his example. All rashes are not trivial. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, really s uh, serious uh, diseases that starts with a simple, quote, uh, rash. So, for instance, there was a, this Dr. Ahmed Khan who uh, was uh, quoted and commenting on this. He is a doctor at St. George's Hospital in London. Uh, he said that this would potentially put lives at risk. And he said, I see a lot of children with rashes. I'm worried that parents will take the health secretary's advice and potentially miss very serious illnesses like meningitis, which could have fatal consequences. Mm. So, uh, you know, uh, I think you should have a health uh, secretary that knows a little bit more about diseases than saying, well, if, you just, if it's just a rash, you can check it for yourself on Google. And then... It is the number three complaint is this is the Dr. Google syndrome that we see all the time. Yeah. That people are trying to self-diagnose and sometimes that has disastrous results. So when a health secretary of a major country publicly encourages this, uh, that can have very serious consequences. Mm, yeah. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. To be fair, he, he got a lot of uh, critique uh, online uh, and in the media for this, uh, for saying this, but it's still very serious. So, for advocating Dr. Google as a serious alternative to real healthcare, Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt of the UK gets the prize for being really wrong. And it's well deserved. Perhaps, perhaps he was uh, educated in uh, Google University. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Yalana, mm. we are waiting for your trap to, to be revealed. We need three items. One of them has to be false. Do you have those? Yes, I do. Great. Yay. All right. So here we go, guys. Uh -oh. Item number one. Listening to the elevator music stimulates immunoglobulin A production and thus might help prevent the common cold. Item number two. Researchers in Stockholm University discovered that chicken prefer beautiful humans. And item number three, female malaria mosquito Anaphilis gambae is attracted equally to the smell of blue Stilton cheese and to the smell of humans. So, <laughs> good ones. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Andres, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, why not? So the first one. Listening to elevator muzak, muzak. You know the um, this electronic, jazzy, funky, solly thing that kind of like goes oh, on forever. Oh, so it's a type of music. 
Yeah, it's called it's like music. A st- it's, it's like a style. Yeah, it's like a like a very easy listening, not many words okay. kind of. Yeah. Okay, now I feel embarrassed that, that I didn't know that. It's not a very sophisticated style of music, so if you don't know it, it's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I know only sophisticated music. Well, like, you know, like rock and roll or, or whatever. R&B oh, rock and roll or can be soul or whatever. It's not like that. It's it's just a, it's a very, um, I think it's electronically produced as well most of the time. So, yeah. But it's very nice that you... I put the whole music industry down just now, just now didn't I? Yeah. I and you, completely you, dissed it. <laughs> you made the assumption that rock and roll is sophisticated music. That's, that's very interesting. <laughs> it's sophisticated music made of oh, drugs. the hate mail I'm going to get for this. Ah, oh, this is going to be awesome. So, stimulus immunoglobulin A, IgA, production, and thus may help prevent the common cold. Well... The immune system can be affected by lots of different things. Why wouldn't it be that music? But I have no idea why specifically the elevator music. Hmm. Never mind. I have no idea. Research in Stockholm University discovered that chickens prefer beautiful humans. Prefer beautiful humans to for ugly what? humans. Come but on. doing what to them? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> running around them, or trying to lay eggs on them, or or <laughs> what? It's it's just or being eaten by them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? If you are beautiful, if you're if you're a beautiful human, yeah, that's okay. You can. Yeah, I don't mind being eaten by you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's just funny. Um, female malaria mosquito Anophanes gambiae is attracted equally to the smell of blue Stilton cheese and to the smell of humans. That sounds great, and I find it absolutely plausible. And I I can I can now see companies getting on the market with products smelling blue Stilton cheese. And catching the mosquitoes. That's that's fine. Um, so I buy that totally. Research in Stockholm University. You know, one thing about that item is that it, it cites one researcher. It could be a crackpot. I don't know. Both the first one and the second one seem a bit off to me. But I would say the second one is the false. So... Researcher in Stockholm University discovered that chicken prefer beautiful humans. No, I don't buy that. All right. Listening to music may prevent uh, the common cold. Uh, I didn't think anything could prevent the common cold. But maybe. Um, maybe, maybe. The, okay. Chickens prefer beautiful humans. I think you've turned that around. I think it's humans prefer beautiful chicken. So I think that's the false one. And I will say that I would just want to comment on the last one as well, that the smell of blue Stilton cheese and the smell of humans, I think that in some cases the difference may not be so big. So maybe that's true. <laughs> so I will go with number two as well. Number two is wrong. You've turned it around. Okay, so because you've chosen both number two, I'll start with it. Mm-hmm. And... um 
I just want to say to you guys that uh, number two, the researchers in Stockholm University discover that chickens prefer beautiful humans is actually true. Now, <laughs> no. So the thing is, um, and I know what you said about, uh, you know, who do they prefer it to and whatever, you know, and I was like, you know, to, to ugly humans. I don't know, whatever. But um, the abstract from the study basically read um, that they trained chickens to react to an average human fa female face. Um, and in subsequent tests, uh, the um, animals showed preferences to faces consistent with human sexual preferences. Wow, that's really from, interesting. Okay, from I, was about, I was about to ask how they they actually evaluated the So they spoke to some students, probably horny students. I don't want to say anything about students, but they're mostly <laughs> horny and whatever. All, all students are horny. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and they said, well, guys, what do you think is, is, is beautiful woman? And of course, they probably told them what they are. And then they showed those pictures to chickens and chickens were like, yeah, we think they're pretty cool too. So, But anyway, so th this suggests that the human preference arise from general properties of nervous system rather than from face-specific adaptations. And so, and then, um, yeah, um, it's, it's just, it was just a, a very interesting study because they've, they've obviously um, did this um, experiment on, on chickens and on humans. And if you, we'll, we'll link the, um, the link to the paper. If you look at the graph where they show um, the correlation between the chickens and the humans, it's completely identical. So the reaction of chickens and the reaction of humans to the uh, faces shown were completely identical. That's which amazing. Is, which is the most uh, extraordinary thing. Um, I mean, uh, it's, it's a very useless study. <laughs> Who on earth comes up with <laughs> a this, research proposal like that? I know this is the kind of things uh, you know people get. get uh, do, and he do and he got they, funding for it. I'm I'm pretty sure. Imagine, and probably that. an Ig Nobel in the future. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Um, and of course the other. Uh, so th then I'll I'll start from the beginning. So okay. listening to the elevator music stimulates immunoglobulin uh, A production and thus may prevent the common cold. Uh, this item is um, also true. Um, so basically, um, they and and I was uh, laughing about it because um, I love elevator music. I can listen to it all day long. I don't care. Uh, it's it, it's something on the background, but I haven't been listening to it for a while because my husband doesn't like it. So and I, and I actually got called a couple of weeks ago and I told him about it like uh, it, when I was preparing for this episode and I said, "You see, because you don't allow me to listen to this music, I got called now." So it's all your fault. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it's the study investigates the effect of the music um, and um, the auditory stimulus on this immune, immunoglobulin A. Um, so the groups of college students, 66 of them, were exposed to uh, one of the four conditions, uh, you know, a 30 minutes um, tone click presentation, 30 minutes of silence, 30 minutes of music, tape re referred to as environmental music, and 30 minutes of radio broadcast. <clears throat> and so then saliva samples collected before and after each 30 minutes um, uh, were analyzed and assessed for, for this uh, immunoglobulin thing. Uh, and then it, it indicated the significant increase um, in, in this immunoglobulin when uh, after listening to Muzak. Um, okay, so that means that the um, 
the malaria with Blue Stilton is false. Now, it is based on a true article, and um, the true article went like this. That uh, these biologists found out that the female malaria mosquito is attracted equally to the smell of Limburger cheese as to the smell of human feet. Uh, and so I've modified it slightly to say that it's Blue Stilton and humans uh, as as a people ah. rather than their feet. But um, but yeah. Limburger cheese. Hmm? Okay. <laughs> and feet. And I always thought feet and cheese. Yeah, you know the smelly cheese? Yeah, I never liked it. Um, so yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay. I thought that there must be a reason I don't like it. Mm. But there you go. <laughs> it's because you're not a mosquito. Otherwise, you would have liked it. I have to admit, you yeah. defeated both of us. Again? Again. It wasn't that long ago. It, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago. It wasn't. So, good job. Very good. Thank you very much, Yelena. Do you also have um, a nice quote for us? I do. Um, today's quote uh, is from a French chemist, uh, Antoine Laurent Lavoisier. Uh, he said, we must trust to nothing but facts. These are presented to us by nature and cannot deceive. We ought in every instance to submit our reasoning to the test of experiment and never to search for truth, but by the natural road of experiment and observation. Mm-hmm. There we go. Trust trust the facts only, guys, not Reddit threads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. Yeah, good one. Good one. Uh, by the way, Lavoisier, uh, he did a great job uh, in, in even... Um, trying to debunk um, certain claims like uh, the the phlogiston. It was the idea that um, somehow the essence of fire is within combustible material. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he did come up with the uh, 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 a different explanation. So he was the one uh, recognized and named oxygen and hydrogen. So that was a pretty good basis for his new ideas, mm. and uh, yeah, he he did he did a lot working on elements, uh, certain elements, uh, even the metric system had had a lot to do with him. So yeah, he he really knew his stuff. <laughs> so thank you very much, Helena. All right. It was a very good quote, and uh, I think this wraps up the show. Uh, it was. A pleasure again um, to record with you. Fun as always. Yeah. yeah. So talk to you next time. All right. Till next time then. Bye-bye. Good- goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rubb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at 
theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. This is episode number five. Shit. It's not. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Yelena. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, of course, they like to sensationalize everything. Um, do you remember... Um, do you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, Pontus. I was wondering where Andres is going with this, but I don't think oh, he's God. going anywhere. <laughs> yes, that was the interview. And... <laughs> <laughs> What is it? It was very interesting, that's all. It was an interesting interview. Mm. I love the guy. Ooh! We are... (laughs) (laughs) We know what that means. That's so sweet, yeah. We know what that means. Yeah, I do. (laughs)